everyone, and welcome to the Filene Fill-In. I'm Holly Fearing with Filene. The Filene Fill-In is the podcast where we fill you in on what's been going on here at Filene's home base and out and about in the financial services world. Last fall, Filene launched a new research center to focus on the power of credit unions' social and community impact, not only to explore the way that this type of work being done by credit unions, if strategically maximized, partnered, and amplified, has potential to significantly and positively transform entire communities, but also to explore the way that, through putting a focus on making transformative change for those they serve, credit unions can rightfully claim a key differentiation point in a crowded financial services space. In other words, to be able to have a research-backed, emotionally compelling, empathetic, and irrefutable answer to the theoretic and existential question, why should somebody choose to do business with you over anyone else? To move this focus into action, we needed to find exactly the right person to lead the work. This is where Dr. Mai Nguyen comes into the Filene picture. And lucky for you, credit unions, for you as well. Officially, through her role as fellow for the Center for Community Social Impact, Dr. Nguyen seeks to measure and expand credit unions' social impact and help credit unions develop strategic advantages in their communities as they affect long-term positive community transformation. Dr. Nguyen, however, is known to be refreshingly unconventional through her work that speaks to the power of what research can do to move people to action when it is translated in ways that are emotionally compelling. For example, look no further than her multimedia project called In the Shadows of Ferguson that tells a 100-year history of how housing and urban policies have racially divided U.S. communities— through an empathetic and accessible approach that bridges research, social science, history, performing art, media, and digital humanities. As you'll soon hear, Dr. Nguyen's research is inspired by the goal of creating equitable and resilient communities through structural and systemic change. She is the director of the Design Lab at the University of California, San Diego, a professor of city and regional planning, and a housing and urban scholar who seeks to improve the lives of vulnerable and underserved populations. In this episode, you'll get an introduction to her work and her vision for the opportunities credit unions have to change their members' lives, positively transform their communities, and strategically grow and differentiate their businesses while doing so. So let's get to it. Okay, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Mai Nguyen, and congratulations on being Filene's newest research fellow. Thank you so much for having me here today. And welcome back to the show, Taylor. How is life with two babies now? <laughs> uh, we are uh, sleeping less, but other than that, uh, enjoying uh, family time for sure. Thanks for having me back, Holly. Yeah, of course. We're so happy to have you back. Okay, Mai, can you get us started a little bit? talking about what it means to you to be leading Filene's research on community and social impact for credit unions. Sure. Um, I am just so incredibly excited to lead this new center on community social impact because I get to work with credit unions to think more systematically about how to tackle root causes of inequality 
and to try to track and monitor progress in order to make effective change. And for me, a powerful lever for community social impact is, is building capital, human, social, and financial capital in communities that have been systematically and historically excluded from access to capital. What is your background area of study? Because this is this is very specific um, type of research. So can you tell us a little bit more about what your background is and, and then what led you to find this position to become the research fellow for Filene Center on this topic? Sure. I'm an urban planner by training. And within urban planning, my expertise is in housing and community development. My research is often focused on the community scale and helping to make communities more equitable and resilient in in the face of shocks, whether it be an economic recession, a pandemic like what we're going through now, or a hurricane. Um, when, When we build strong communities from the inside out, they are better able to withstand these intense shocks to their system and can recover more quickly. So in essence, they're they're more resilient. Um, And I became um, interested in this center because it sort of combines so many things that I'm interested in. You know, it focuses on this community scale, as I talked about, and it's working with institutions that have capital to really affect change in communities and build resilient communities that can withstand these sort of what I call shocks to their system. And so uh, this is, you know, for me, seemed to be the perfect opportunity uh, for me to engage in this type of work with with uh, credit unions. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting when you put it in that perspective around shocks to communities and and the analogy of or comparison between um, a physical event like a hurricane to a a more you know social or political in nature um, event but it it really makes it so tangible to see um, how uh, it is also an equal shock and that resiliency is is needed for social elements as well. Yeah, I think about these as systems. And if you have a strong interconnected system that has a lot of support, right? I think of it like scaffolding, where if one thing breaks, then the whole system doesn't break because it's it's so um, it's strong and it's integrated and it's there's redundant s- systems. Um, and so you have to build that in times when there isn't a disaster so you can withstand a disaster. And communities are like that. They need to constantly be fed and and supported and and strengthened in order to to withstand these shocks. Taylor, I'm curious about how this topic even just came into the fold for Filene. So can you talk a little bit about where this need came from and, and what were the what were the challenges that you were hearing about in the credit union industry that kind of led us to to making an entire research center around this topic? Yeah, absolutely. As everyone who listens to this podcast will know, obviously credit unions have long been mission-driven, member-focused organizations, hybrid organizations um, that obviously are deeply committed to 
the well-being of their members um, and their members' communities. Um, what we've started to see from our uh, from credit unions that we work with and, and more broadly in the space of uh, social impact and philanthropy um, is a real sea change in the ways that organizations, credit unions included, approach the community-focused work that they want to do. And that sea change really has a few components. So first, uh, folks are really looking for strategies to enhance their impact, to strategize and focus uh, around the resources that they have available to be able to invest directly in their communities, whether that's you know financial investment or, um, and this speaks to the sort of second piece of that sea change, you know, through the products, services, um, and other work that they do. So I think a lot of credit unions are looking for ways to align their, um, their actions as a service provider with their actions as a true community organization, as a coach for their members and, and, um, and households, as an advocate for their members and communities, um, and as a leader, right, in their um, broader neighborhoods, regions, uh, you know, employer groups, associations, and, and communities writ large. So um, credit unions are really looking for ways to, you know, target some of those downstream uh, concerns that that Mai mentioned, whether those are, you know, some of the root causes of poverty and inequality in communities, or some of the root causes of, um, you know, that that undermine community resilience. And at the same time, they're looking for ways to better measure and demonstrate the impact that they're already having and the impact that they hope to have um, as they, you know, really strategize um, for ways to to deepen their impact and, and positive impact in their communities. And why was it that? Dr. Nguyen was selected specifically to be the fellow for, for this work? Well, I'm, I'm really excited to be working with, with my, uh, there's a, a whole range of reasons why uh, she really rose to the top of our, um, our search. Um, I would say that, you know, her, her research background is first and foremost, you know, the, the thing that gets me most excited. She combines that focus on poverty and inequality and trying to understand the economic, social, um, political dynamics of poverty and inequality with a real focus on place. And as an urban planner, she understands geography and the role that um, geography plays in, um, in, in poverty and inequality. But she also has a long history of working with community organizations as an urban planner and as an academic um, in really participatory ways. And um, she has a long history of uh, doing the hard work of translating research insights into actionable formats and ultimately into the kind of impact that Filene itself um, wants to have. I, I think that one thing that Maya and I have talked about that we're really excited about is, you know, just as credit unions are on this social impact journey, so too is Filene. And as we dig into the work through the center, we'll really be collaborating with our credit union and, and credit union system partners um, to you know, up our own game in terms of deepening our impact, expanding our impact, and and then measuring and demonstrating it. Yeah, it, it is absolutely true that everyone at Filene is is very excited to be working with my and and some of the um, past work that we've seen of of hers is is getting our all of our wheels turning and and thinking about what the what the future of the center will look like. 
Mai, you, you've stated that the inspiration for your research is, is in that goal of creating equitable and resilient communities through structural and systemic change. I love this quote that we've seen from you, that you are fascinated by the idea of geography as destiny. Can you explain what that, what that statement means and, and how your work strives toward that goal? Yeah. When I... I first began my doctoral studies and became interested in how people sort out in space. You know, why do some people choose to live in cities? Why in suburbs? Why this neighborhood? Why that neighborhood? What I quickly began to realize is that while residential preferences can be realized for some groups, for a large segment of our society, there are tremendous barriers to living where you want. For example, the suburbs at the mid-century were exclusive and did not allow non-whites to live there. Black neighborhoods were redlined so that black families couldn't receive a mortgage. And housing values in redlined neighborhoods did not appreciate in value. And homeownership has also been out of reach for so many families due to the high cost of land and housing and hot housing markets. So uh, some families are, are really left out of that uh, ability to build wealth through buying homes and living in quality neighborhoods. And what you see is this growing inequality um, and um, and residential segregation. And when you have such differences across neighborhoods where some neighborhoods accrue wealth, wealth, others don't, then what you also see is that there are so many outcomes that are linked to that, right? Living in a low quality neighborhood often means um, your children go to schools that are under-resourced, underfunded, that they're often disconnected from transit uh, and not accessible to health uh, care facilities. And so there's a snowball and compounding impact of where you live and your, your outcomes. Many of us here at Filene have have recently watched one of your recent projects. It's called In the Shadows of Ferguson, and it is a performance art piece um, telling the story of the 100 plus year history of how housing and urban policies have racially divided U.S. communities. It's a really powerful, powerful piece, and and it's done in an unconventional way. Um, can you can you tell us a little bit more about this? presentation of your research and how it all came to be? Sure. First, thanks for actually watching it. (laughs) Um, And, um, you know, this this project really, for me, was the spark of it really came after the killing of Trayvon Martin in 2012. And what seemed like two, two very short years later, the killing of Mike Brown Jr. in 2014, both of them unarmed black teenagers killed in the suburbs. Um, I was devastated by the repeated violence and injustice against African-Americans. And I think because of social media and just how much media we're fed these days, just those images, reoccurring images over and over again were um, you know, traumatizing for so many. And for me, these events um, and the brutality against African-Americans is a legacy of slavery, but also that it's a legacy of a nation that hasn't really truly reckoned with the compounding injustices that are due to our racist and discriminatory housing and urban policies. 
And I wanted to use performing art as a way to tell the story about the legacy of racism in U.S. housing and urban policies so that it could reach a broader audience and, and dispur audience members to social action. Um, academics were often just talking to other academics. And, you know, that's that's not going to lead to the type of social change um, that we want. And so In the Shadows of Ferguson begins with the Plessy versus Ferguson ruling in 1896, the Supreme Court ruling that legalized a system of segregation in the U.S. and then ends in modern day Ferguson around the killing of Mike Brown Jr. and the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement in, in the aftermath. And it links those two events. Um, and the, the story arc is, is about what typically is pretty dry housing and urban policy, but because it's it's told through the experiences of of residents of St. Louis, then it becomes more tangible, more real. And I think it evokes empathy for groups that are not like yourself, not, you know, that are other groups. And and it 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 builds compassion. And I think that in our society, building empathy and compassion for others is important for social change. I recommend everyone actually go out and and watch that um, presentation because it is exactly what you said. It encourages empathy in a really tangible way. I thought a lot as I was watching about it about how I live in a house in in Madison, Wisconsin that was built in 1917. And it really put into perspective for me the landscape of of what the housing market was like and when it, when my house was built and you know who my house was built for and who my neighborhood was built for and that we really regulated systems of racial inequality into law by the way our housing regulatory structure was established and i never really thought about it quite so tangibly until i until i watched that Taylor, I, I'm curious to know your your reactions to. I know you watched it as well. What what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an incredibly powerful piece. You know, the thing that really, a couple of things really strike me. One, obviously, is this is an important history for financial services professionals to know. And I, you know, I think increasingly, um, folks in the credit union industry and more broadly in consumer and cooperative finance are starting to reckon with this history. But it's an important first step to be aware, you know, Holly, as you said, of uh, not just the physical landscape, but the business landscape, the regulatory landscape that shaped the kinds of decisions that uh, institutions as well as actors within those institutions, right? So credit unions and banks and thrifts and, you know, all the other kinds of financial services providers that played a role in the in um, throughout the 20th century and, and you know, into the 21st in many cases um, in shaping some of these unequal outcomes in not just where people live, but as Mai's work really shows, uh, the life outcomes that are linked to where people live and the access to social services and, um, you know, and, and public provisions that that um, are regulated by, by geography and by other forms of um, of inequality. So I think that that's, that's the really key thing is that this is not something that's somehow happened apart from financial services, but that financial services has had a really central role to play in it, in that story. 
And then the second thing is I really think it really speaks to the power of, of what research can do to move people to action when it's translated in ways that is emotionally compelling and empathetic. Um, so I, I'm really excited for both of those reasons. Both, you know, I think the topic is really critical, obviously, and I think, you know, and remains a challenge for us. And also I think that it's really a good example of it's very creative, right? And I think that there's a lot that we can do here at Filene in collaboration with my and her and her, her collaborators elsewhere to put research into action. Yeah, I, I love the thought the thought behind how it all came to be a performance art piece like this. And I'm curious to know from both of you, I know you guys have been collaborating and brainstorming for a little while now around what, what kinds of things you're going to be doing in this center for our credit union audience. Do you have thoughts on what's going to be coming in the future for new and unique ways to deliver the results of the research that comes out of the center to affect a greater impact on, on our credit union audiences? I'll mention one thing, but my I know that you have a couple of ideas actually that I'm excited for you to to maybe float here, and you know we're in the process of of working with some of our industry partners as well to to really uncover in this participatory way that that my works what their stakeholder needs are, um, and and so we're we're go- we're going to be working with credit unions to really um, identify those. But I'll, I'll mention one thing, you know I think that it'll be really exciting for us to work with credit unions to understand, to really uh, baseline the, their current social impact work, whether that's, you know, the, you know, how they align and target their financial services, right, for uh, high financial inclusion impact or financial well-being impact and how they measure then uh, how, you know, what that financial well inclusion or financial well-being impact actually is, how they uh, align and allocate resources on the philanthropic side of the house, whether that's actual financial dollars or whether it's volunteer hours or, you know, in-kind support, community organizations, you know, how, what are credit unions doing today to strategize? There's so much for us to learn there. And so I'm really excited for us to do a kind of year over year, you know, the state of credit union social impact uh, kind of report where we really highlight, you know, what's cutting edge for credit unions right now. Um, you know, what are some of the gaps and what can we learn from outside of the credit union space? And then really kind of highlight some success stories from credit unions who are doing innovative things um, to, you know, advance impact across their organization um, for their communities. My, I know that you had a couple of ideas too around, you know, some kind of map or, you know, resource repository. Maybe you can talk to us a little bit about those. Yeah, I've been, you know, thinking about what, in what way could I serve uh, credit unions and provide a tool for them to have, to identify the most socially vulnerable in their communities and perhaps target their activities towards serving uh, those communities. And so uh, I've been thinking about creating what I'll call an atlas where it's interactive and it's a tool that has a lot of data that can be compiled in order to create maps of where socially vulnerable populations are in a certain geography that credit unions might be interested in, let's say their service area or maybe in a city that they're working in. But the map could um, be interactive in that you could click on different dimensions that you're interested in, say the percent of poverty in census tracts, which are the unit where, you know, we consider to be neighborhoods or, um, 
uh, racial and ethnic composition or the percent elderly or uh, percent foreign born, if you think that uh, foreign born populations are more underbanked, uh, for example. So they might have some questions as to who they could better serve and, and we could create a tool where they could inter they could go online and uh, play around with some of these maps in order to better understand uh, who the population is, what it, what the socio-demographics of the population that they'd like to serve. So that's that's one thing that uh, we've been um, talking about, Taylor and I have been talking about. And then the other thing is to really identify, I think Taylor mentioned this earlier, identify credit unions already doing this work in terms of community social impact. And they may be doing it very well. Uh, so to identify what those credit what those credit unions are, what they're doing, and to look at it from a lens of, is this scalable? Are there lessons learned here that other credit unions can learn? Can we evaluate it? Can we quantify or put some metrics around what they're doing and then amplify? Um, so can we create a repository of um, best practices or promising practices in order that there's uh, a way in which um, credit unions who want to do this work have sort of a one-stop shop where they can go and look at what's been done and what's been done successfully and what's scalable. And what are you, um, what are you maybe most looking forward to in the first couple of months as you get into this role as the fellow for the center? Is there a specific project or just a, a specific effort or learning that you are, are most looking forward to? Yeah, I think I'm really excited to hear from credit unions about what social impact activities they're already engaged in and, um, and to hear about what their needs are. Um, I think that for me, uh, learning about credit unions, what how credit unions are thinking about strategic partnerships across different sectors, such as the public sector, the private sector, the philanthropic sectors, whether or not they have those strategic partnerships um, in order to have greater impact. I also want to better understand how they leverage additional resources um, so that they are getting the biggest bang for their buck, so to speak. Um, I think in the short term, I'm here to learn more about what research can be most useful to credit unions, but also to perhaps get them get credit unions to think about, you know, strategic partnerships and to also think about geography as a potential area for uh, collective social impact. I think that that's actually a really interesting point that, um, you know, credit unions, we've, we've seen a great deal of movement by credit unions in focusing their social impact strategies around uh, particular areas of need that align powerfully with their, um, you know, with, with their own value proposition as financial services organizations, you know, whether that's, you know, focusing on financial, you know, education, for example, or uh, uh, children's health or uh, transportation or affordable housing. But I think what my um, is proposing here is, is really potentially transformative for credit unions uh, in that it, you know, what, what she's suggesting is that credit unions find a way to um, tackle not just the topical areas of need, but the actual neighborhoods um, and populations of need in ways that can have really potentially transformative positive impact. 
and for credit unions, really aligns with their history and their operating model as community financial organizations. Um, I think it's really an interesting proposal for credit unions to think about how can we recover our history um, as membership-based organizations um, in ways that then allow us to leverage our social impact work to greater effect. So I think it's a really powerful starting place and, and provocative for credit unions, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Mm-hmm. If I could ask you, Taylor, to look ahead into the future five years from now, I know that's essentially 50 years from now in the way change is happening in our world. But can you talk a little bit about what you think credit unions might be able to know or do or what they'll be better at and how they'll be better at helping their communities and their members five years into this research project? Yeah, I, it's hard because, you know, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to have for lunch today. And <laughs> yeah. so, you know, five years from now, who knows? No, I, I mean, in an ideal world, you know, I would love for credit unions at the end of this project to have proven strategies to align their value proposition and business and operating models with their community's real needs. So to have to have the resources that and tools to uncover what those needs are and to have the resources and tools to develop a you know, a powerful product set, a powerful social impact and, and giving and volunteering strategy that really all aligns around those needs. The second is I would like them to have access to some proven strategies for tackling not just the symptoms of poverty and inequality, but its downstream causes. Um, so that credit unions can really dig deep around some of the most entrenched, longstanding and persistent problems that their communities face and that that we face as, as a country and as a world. And then finally, I think at the end of five years, I would really like us to have a playbook or a toolkit or a resource guide with case studies and examples of uh, not just effective things that credit unions can do themselves, but as Mai was really emphasizing, effective partnerships that will help credit unions and their partners implement those strategies that I talked about. And then most importantly, I think, track, measure, demonstrate, and communicate the impact of those strategies. So at the end of five years, if we have catalyzed action by credit unions to move in a coordinated way to adopt some of those proven evidence-based solutions to crowd in around what we know can have impact over the medium and long term, you know, I'll consider that a, a profound success. My one of the greatest reasons why this is so important to bring in academics from a broader perspective is you you've really come to us from outside of the financial services space to broaden our perspective open our eyes to seeing the the work that's being done in this effort in other spaces other industries have you seen this work being successful elsewhere or insights that you've learned or solutions implemented through your experience and your work outside of the realm that we're talking about here today? Mm-hmm. I'll say that actually right now in this very moment, in this very historic moment, I'm actually seeing the most collective or the biggest collective understanding about structural racism and inequality that I've I've seen in my entire career, meaning that across these different sectors, people are talking about it. People, uh, organizations are wanting to make change and real systemic change um, 
And I think it'll require all of us, right, this multi-pronged, multi-sector commitment um, uh, in order to actually have real social change. And credit unions can be a real powerful player in this. And so um, to answer your question, have I seen this elsewhere? Um, a, a number of years ago, a few years ago, the Ford Foundation shifted all of their grant making to fight inequality. That was their one goal. And they announced that they would be tackling financial, racial, and gender inequalities. And they're actually providing operating funds, operating support to organizations that do this work. Now, this is it's pretty unprecedented that a philanthropic organization would do this. And this is them shifting about a billion dollars of their funding over five years for operational support for organizations who are fighting inequality. And that's that's substa substantial. Um, in the last few years, I've also seen local elected officials in cities uh, really thinking about dismantling structural inequality, such as eliminating single family zoning that has been an exclusionary mechanism to keep out low income families in amenity rich neighborhoods. Right? Cities like Minneapolis, Minnesota have done this. and. Um, the state of Oregon has implemented this throughout the entire state in all their cities. And there are even cities talking about uh, reparations planning. Um, cities such as Evanston, Illinois, Kansas City, Missouri, Portland, Oregon, and Asheville, North Carolina have adopted reparations plans. And then when you think about nationally, you know, we've this election has brought to the forefront the need for national policies to promote racial equity. And the current president-elect has, has a proposal for to promote racial equity in terms of the recovery from this current pandemic and recognizing that economic the economic and health crisis that we face right now has hit brown and black communities the hardest. And I believe having a national framework with laws and policies to advance opportunities for these communities has has the potential to have uh, a great social impact. So I think um, many different sectors are actually tackling this in this very important historic moment. Taylor, how, how would you recommend that credit unions get involved in this work as, as we start to dive in and all of all of the things we've been talking about here today, there's no need for them to to sit around and wait until the research is is produced. Um, how, how can credit unions get involved right away on the front end of this work? Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of ways that we work and really are excited to work with credit unions in this area in particular going forward. First of all, you know, we source our research questions from our credit union partners and credit union system partners. So what questions do you, you know, credit union folks have on your minds when it comes to community social impact? We want to hear those. Second, you know, we work with our credit union and credit union system partners to collect data, quantitative data, uh, case study data. Um, you know, all of the work that that um, we do is really only made possible in partnership and collaboration with, with credit unions. And so, 
you know, yes, we we want your data, but we want to do it in a way that is beneficial uh, for you and, and mutually valuable. Um, and I think that there's some really amazing opportunities, um, you know, with with a researcher like my at the helm of this center of excellence to partner with um, with organizations to collect new data, analyze existing data sets, um, build out examples of, of innovative best practices, as, as Mai was mentioning earlier. Um, so we're, we're excited to do that. And then finally, you know, I think really important, we're, we're always looking for partners in implementation. You know, our research insights um, are always producing ideas that can be piloted and tested, whether formally in our incubator through some kind of custom research uh, partnership with Filene or, you know, simply on, uh, you know, credit unions working on their own to take one of our insights and put it into practice. Those are absolutely critical for our own theory of change here at Filene to better understand um, the impact that our work is having um, and to work together to ensure that that impact um, is happening in uh, a focused and, and positive way. So I would say, you know, reach out proactively, but perhaps the best thing you can do is make sure that you join us at our future event, uh, research event that the Center for Community Social Impact will be having in collaboration with the Center for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. And that's coming up this June 2021, uh, June 22nd and 23rd. So, um, you know, those are just some of the ways that that we're excited to um, to work with our credit union and credit union system partners. My one of the reasons why we love doing these podcasts with our new fellows is that it also gives us a chance to get to know a little bit more about you as a human. So can you talk a little bit about uh, what other professional or research pursuits that you are just inspired by or, or find most interesting out there besides everything that we just talked about today? Sure. I, I also conduct research on the effects of climate change on communities and how communities are adapting to climate change. Uh, there's a real tension between keeping communities intact and in place due to the social ties and fabric of the community, even though they might be vulnerable to certain weather events or moving them to safer ground because these places are vulnerable to disasters, right? There's there's really no right, right answer to this question. And so it becomes a very difficult, complex issue of climate change adaptation. How do we do that? And how do we respect our history and memory um, as, as these climate events are becoming more intense and more frequent over time? Mm -hmm millions and millions of people are going to have to migrate from their residences over the next 50 years um, just in the U.S. And so these are real concerns that we have and decisions we need to be making in our communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so important to to link that connection, like you were saying earlier, around geography and destiny. And it, it absolutely takes form in many different ways, including climate change. So that's very smart to connect that kind of thinking together. I also wanted to ask, we have a really amazing lineup of fellows. Taylor can speak to this as well. And they all have their own special skills. And so I would love to know a little bit more about what it is that you like to do um, outside of your academic or research work. What are, what are some of your, your um, hobbies or pastimes or favorite things to do? Sure. Um, 
pre-pandemic, I would say, uh, I love to travel with my family. I have two kids and um, usually when I give them a gift, it's usually a gift of some experience. So two summers ago, we spent two weeks in Thailand where they got to spend a day at an elephant sanctuary and feed elephants and bathe elephants and then um, watch the elephants take a painting class because I don't know if you know, but elephants can paint. <laughs> oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, always fun to see the joy on their face when they get to experience something new. Um, we also love to get up on the mountain and snowboard as a family. So that's, that's always fun. Just, I think getting outside typically, um, and during the pandemic, we've really embraced this idea of homesteading, you know, hunkering down. I started gardening. I have a big vegetable garden. Uh, we got chickens. And so we have what I call eight pandemic chickens right now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I cook a lot of meals. So, and we take lo lo lots of long nature walks and sit by the fire outside. So really just kind of embracing this time we have together. That's wonderful. Uh, do you, do your chickens ever get loose? There, there are a lot of people that have chickens in my neighborhood and I've just, I've grown used to randomly seeing chickens walk down my street. Is that something that happens with your chickens too? They, they have an enclosure, a pretty nice, posh, big enclosure. So they don't, they don't get loose. Um, yeah. That's good. That's good. My, what's the most delicious vegetable, fruit or vegetable that you've grown in your garden this year? You know, my parents send me seeds from their garden and they grow a lot of Vietnamese vegetables. Um, and I actually don't know what the Amer the English name for them are, <laughs> but um, there is one that grows on a vine. It's it's actually a loofah. It's like a squash, but um, it's and you make soup with it and it's it's delicious. Is it like a green? I'm trying to, I think I, I think is. I know this. It's like a green squash. Yes. It's a green, looks like a squash, but it's called a loofah. Like the, you know, they make loofahs out of them when they dry, um, sponges. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, when I was in Vietnam, they made a soup out of a green leafy vegetable that I had never heard of in the States before, but they called it morning glory but it's not the morning glory that I know of with the, the flowers that grow on a vine. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, that's, I have that in my garden as we speak. Yep. Oh, I love that. I, I love the, the savory soup for, for breakfast. That was so delicious. I know. Uh, that's what I did a lot at, in March was just to cook up soup and then freeze it just as comfort food during the pandemic. Apparently, the Lufa gourd is its is its official name. Um, uh, it's uh, it's also known, according to an 1888 catalog, uh, as a dishcloth gourd. <laughs> so there you go. Well, in it's, it's called Moop and um, M U O P, and um, and it's sort of my sig my dad's signature uh, vegetable that he grows in his garden. Sounds delicious. Yeah. And are, are you still able to, at this time of year, have a garden? Because I'm, I'm looking outside my window at my, at my um, the only thing left is kale. That's the only thing that can survive the temperatures here in Wisconsin now. Are you still able to grow vegetables? It's still warm 
in North Carolina, and actually a fall garden is much easier to tend to in North mm-hmm. Carolina. So I'm growing cabbages and broccoli and um, kale, lots of kale. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm envious of that. Yeah, I, I think our, our season is, is past. Taylor, were you, were you able to, do you have a, a vegetable garden now in your new house? We, we just moved into the new house in late spring, so we didn't get the vegetable garden installed, but we do have a, a, a beautiful raspberry bush. So we did have raspberries all summer, which was really wonderful. Oh, nice. we, we battled the Japanese beetles and, you know, they won some, we won some, but we were able to um, uh, enjoy some of the, the raspberries. So that, that, was a, that was a joy. That's nice. Taylor, I know that you, you and I were trying to get um, like a pandemic recipes together from everyone that we interview. So um, maybe we'll have to have Mai send us uh, her favorite recipe from the pandemic. Yeah, Mai, do you have a favorite pandemic meal that you've had I with your family? Cook a lot of pho. And, oh, awesome. And that is our go-to during this pandemic because you can make a big vat and eat it throughout the whole week. <laughs> so. my, I have to say, you know, Holly, Maya and I share a little bit of history here and, and we did, our time did not overlap, but both of us spent a good deal of time at the University of California, Irvine in Orange County. And Maya, I have to say that the thing, one of the things that I miss most about uh, Orange County, about, about Southern California is, is the pho. Uh, like very specifically, I wish that we, uh, I could get, you know, a, a, a bowl of uh, really hot pho here in Madison and it, it exists, but it's not quite the same as what I could find in, in so <laughs> mm-hmm. That's why I started, I learned how to cook it because it wasn't the same here in North Carolina. So I had to figure out how to make it so that it was, um, it felt like home. I, I I have my next project. That sounds, that sounds delicious. <laughs> I have a turkey pho recipe. So after Thanksgiving, you can use reuse the turkey bones. It's delicious. That sounds brilliant. <laughs> that sounds like a contender for our recipe book for sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> All right, Mai. So before we wrap this up, I, I want to ask if you can leave our listeners with um, a piece of advice. So for credit unions that want to make a greater impact in their communities and for their members right away, what is one thing that they can get started on right now? Sure. I think one thing credit unions can do right away is to reflect on the activities that they are currently engaged in across their financial services, their financial technology and philanthropy activities, and see whether or not they're aligned to have the greatest social impact. It's sort of a review of what they're already doing. Mm -hmm. And if not, then how can they be more aligned? I think that would be one quick, easy way to think, to start thinking about social impact. Mm-hmm. Great. Taylor, was there anything else that we didn't cover here today that you wanted to make sure our listeners heard? Well, I would just say that, you know, we're so excited about the opportunities that we have in front of us. And I, I think it's also really important to recognize that, you know, we're building on a deep archive of work that folks at Filene have, you know, already taken on and and completed on behalf of credit unions. And so, you know, 
uh, our listeners can can go to the Filene website. They can click on the Community Social Impact tab underneath Learn Something, and you can see some of the previous work that we've done. Work, you know, around um, you know piloting lending products for uh, minority households and communities. Um, you know, tools and toolkits around. Uh, enhancing your members' financial well-being, how mutual aid uh, can be, you know, a really critical um, thing to support, especially in times of of uncertainty and disaster, such as during the pandemic. And then, you know, if folks are looking for something to do right away, um, I would say that, you know, my suggestion is really the critical first step. But if you want to take action, there's a really wonderful proposal from um, George Hofheimer, our, our former EVP and, and chief knowledge officer, um, about how credit unions can um, do something really dramatic. And that's, you know, take um, 10 percent of their um, of their earnings over the course of a year um, and commit to taking that 10 percent and, and, and dedicating it to uh, social impact work. Um, I there's you know some math that George goes into about the the potential impact that 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 kind of tithe that credit the kind of credit union tithe could have over the long term. But I think it's a really profound step that credit unions should consider. Great, um, and I'll add that I think all credit unions listening to this should uh, take an hour maybe with your teams and and watch in the shadows of Ferguson because it's a great. Um, background and and gives you a great starting place if you're not familiar already um, with with the history of housing and urban policies. So um, we will put that link to that in in the show notes as well. Okay, so I think that is everything that I had for both of you to cover. Thank you again so much, Mai, for being here, for the work that you've done already and the, the work that you will be doing with us at Filene. We're very excited for the outcomes from, from this work. So we've got um, a long way ahead of us to go and we're very excited about what's possible with it. Thank you, Holly. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. All right, that's it for the fill-in, folks. Thank you for listening. And of course, a huge thank you to Dr. Mai Nguyen and Taylor Nelms for taking the time to talk with us today. Reflecting on what we heard from Mai and Taylor, it is clear that current public health, economic, and social injustice crises demonstrate that financial services are indispensable community partners, and credit unions are positioned to be leaders in the national conversation about financial well-being and equality. My hope is that you leave this episode feeling inspired by the unique opportunity credit unions have to reinvest in their value proposition as community financial institutions while tackling the most critical social challenges of our time around housing and hunger, education and environment, poverty and inequality. This work, however, will not be quick or easy and will require organizational alignment and creative partnerships with community members and organizations. The uplifting news is that you are not alone in this work, and you do not need to figure this out alone. I strongly encourage you to take a moment right now to register for Filene's next virtual research event called Amplifying Impact, Connecting Credit Unions and Communities on June 22nd and 23rd, where we will connect you with hundreds of like-minded credit union professionals and experts in the field to share new knowledge and stimulate thinking about how credit unions can create and leverage connections with their community for competitive differentiation, organizational growth, and positive social and economic impact. Go to filene.org events to claim your spot. 
If you like this episode, please do rate us on Apple Podcasts so more people can find us. And make sure you're subscribed to the Filene Fill-In Podcast so you can keep up with what's going on at Filene. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. To get in touch about today's show, email me at hollyf at filene.org or find us on Twitter at Filene Research. Until next time, thanks everyone. Thanks everyone.